Hello, I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Reverend Dr. Boyan Lee. Dr. Lee is Professor of Practical Theology with ILIF School of Theology. Welcome, Boyan, to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor always to be part of a, a Wabash program. You're a longtime Wabash person, so we're glad to get um, this interview done um, as we archive um, some of these marvelous responses. So let's start with question number one. So the questions are literally uh, numbered, right? And our guests get to know which questions are which. And then people actually comment uh, from time to time on the different numbers of questions, but uh, the answers. But here we go. Here we go. Number one. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a child, um, I, I uh, first I remember uh, very uh, young. Uh, I, di I didn't even start the elementary school, but I went to be a diplomat. And okay. I had uh, no idea what diplomat was, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to be in broader international context, I guess. I think because you know I grew up on military base. And my father is a retired a Korean Marine officer who served for 34 years and uh, who joined um, the end of the Korean War and he was deployed to Vietnam three times. So um, having father to be gone often and to be in military drill with the U.S. armies and Marines. And I think, uh, and also when my father was in Vietnam when I was four, five years old and getting a letter from my dad that read, you know, read by my mother, I I had a, a very on, early on the consciousness about other people in foreign countries. So I think without knowing what diplomat was, I think I wanted to be a diplomat uh, to be in international context. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after that, I wanted to be like a social worker. Uh, I studied noticing uh, people who could not afford a lot of the things that I, a child of middle class, could afford. You know, in the 60s and 70s in Korea, we, we are a very poor country, developing country. Then once I became a serious Christian uh, in my uh, junior high era, ever since then, I wanted to be a pastor. Just, just very straightforward um, visions and imagination and possibilities for yourself. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. um, next question. Who was proud of you when you became a teacher? I think my parents, uh, especially my mother, um, she uh, always wanted to be a teacher, but she didn't become one um, because she is also a child of uh, the uh, tragedy of the Korean history. And uh, uh, while we were occupied by uh, Japan, uh, she was uh, separated uh, from her uh, father. And then while the, you know her father was in Japan, uh, her mother died suddenly in young age. And so she was raised by her grandmother. Um, so uh, she always wanted to be a teacher, but uh, uh, you know, in that context that she didn't she couldn't become one. Mm -hmm. And so my mother was extremely proud of me being a teacher. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? 
Um, a lot of, you know, uh, people, um, I, I, you know, of course, you know, my mother, who is very good um, intuitive teacher and uh, one of my early writings uh, that is part of uh, Off the Menu, uh, edited by Guacuilan and Rira Bragg and Sung Yang, which is uh, Asian American uh, feminist theological work. Uh, I wrote about um, uh, cooking without recipes, which is titled, which is Asian Asian American feminist pedagogy. Mm-hmm. So I, while I was writing that chapter, I was, uh, you know, remembering how my mother taught me how to cook. Mm-hmm. And 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 from that, I not only just you know teaching pedagogical theories, but uh, um, I was able to always bring uh, community of people and uh, who, why am I cooking for whom? So who is my audience, and for what what purpose? So my mother, and then second group is that um, I went to college in Korea in early eighties when um, no one thought that. You know, democratization is possible because in, in 1980, uh, we had a second military coup and uh, um, tanks and secret police were on campus and uh, um, martial law and campus was just shut down for almost a year and all those, you know. So I went to college in, in early those era. And so uh, coming from military background, um, uh, when I was uh Interested in democratization movement, the student movement, uh, my father was summoned by his boss because somehow my picture was taken on the first rally, all that. So I went to uh, church to, uh, as a, a, I guess, guilt out of you know my middle, cl- middle class background that I need to give something back to these people. But uh, um, so I, I was uh, at a local church uh, in mid- in the middle of a Seoul right before Olympics, and, and but these people you know, many of them didn't even have a running water in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And there were house, how uh, uh, homes were uh, evicted by first, you know, the government uh, decided to build the high rise buildings before Olympics. And so those are the people, uh, women, especially those very poor women, um, asking me whether I could join them as their spiritual leader. So then uh, it was not a political decision. It was my pastoral decision to be part of, you know, uh, 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 their uh, struggle. And and then after, right after that, I also uh, was working with a young uh, adult group, uh, mostly women who didn't uh, have high school education to support their family and brothers' uh, higher education. So they were working uh, at uh, in, uh, transnational garment uh, factories and going to evening schools. So it's those women um, basically charged me to be a leader so that, that their voices could be heard. Mm-hmm. So I often uh, go back to what they uh, taught me. Does my teaching bring justice to their lives and That's people beautiful. like them yes. yeah. Yeah. Tell, awesome. us, t- tell us the names of your parents and grandmother so my parents my father uh hogyun lee my mother myungsun kim uh, and my uh paternal grandfather e and my paternal grandmother is kim yeon e and my maternal grandfather kim seok jun my maternal grand uh grandmother um Jeon gum sun Thank you. I always think it's important to say their names and not just my mother, my father, yes, right? We our ancestors. Say, yes, yes, our ancestors. That's right. Um, what has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? Um, what surprised me? 
I think everybody has something to offer, but they don't know often. So my job is to help them uh, see their inner, their, their innate wisdom. And so I and often, you know, how uh, I'm surprised how many students come to class um, that it is my responsibility and that they are there to get the best information. And so uh, those things. And then uh, some, sometimes, you know, I'm surprised by uh, my own act <laughs> as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I get that. Because, yes. Yes. You know, uh, I get challenged by students and I realized, you know, the discrepancy between what I was teaching uh, and what I was, you know, uh, embodying. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those moments was, uh, I think, uh, uh, some of those moments were my best learning experiences. Mm-hmm. And and one of the reasons, at least in part, why we step into classrooms and offer that kind of vulnerability and look for the mutuality. Sometimes the mutuality convicts us of, you know, our own inadequacies or, you know, our own blind spots. So thank you. What's a favorite nickname by which you were called by a loved one? Um, I So in Korean, uh, when I was a little child, everyone called me Boka, which is uh, like a playing with uh, sound. Uh, uh, can I see? Can I see? So I was a very curious child. I was extremely curious child to the extent that I caused a lot of problems. <laughs> big so, trouble, right? John yeah, Lewis so, would say big trouble. <laughs> so my friends uh, uh, called me Boca. So she always wants to some wants to see something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? Um. I was very interested in physics and mathematics, theoretical mathematics, mm-hmm. and uh, because you know I knew that I I was called uh, I had a sense of a call to ministry since I was thirteen, so I chose to go to humanities route. But in high school, I was also very good at math and mm-hmm. physics, mm-hmm. and and so now you know I see a lot of a correlations between theology and religion and physics and math. So. Um, I would be very, uh, you know, enjoying my life as a, a physicist, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Do you enjoy writing by longhand? And if you do enjoy writing by longhand, what's your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? I uh, I usually write with uh, pencils. Oh, okay. Yeah. So even, you know, now we grade the papers uh, with all online format and, uh, you know, track changes. But when we received the hard copies in old days, uh, I always made my pencil very sharp and write my comments with the pencils mm-hmm. uh, because then I could erase it. But also, um, uh, I think, the, you know, the, the holding the pen, that the wood, wooden part mm-hmm. was really... I guess comforting, mm-hmm. uh, but also you know I, I made the intentional choice to use pencils um, because you know uh, I when I came to this country the first time, uh, some professors wrote very negative comments in red inks oh, that really God. irked me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just so mean spirited to just mm-hmm. 
put red or ink all over. So I still, I too have pencils still on my desk. One of my favorite things about the wood of the pencil is sharpening the pencil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love sharpening pencils. So I, I don't use it. You know, I of course I have uh, this electric uh, pencil sharpener, but I also uh, use uh, just a knife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My father would do that. Take, take yeah, like he's whittling, right? Yeah, take yeah. take a knife to yeah yeah. Okay. I still do that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, there's something tactile. There's something lovely about that. Okay, next. What's your superpower? My superpower, uh, I guess I don't take criticisms that uh, about my work, uh, especially when I believe this is uh, should be done, especially, you know, as the dean, as you know, that I've served as dean at, of ILIF almost for six years. And sometimes I have to do very unpopular things, but uh, uh, but watching what's going on in theological education, higher uh, education, certain times I have to do certain things mm -hmm. and which is, you know, often it's not popular. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as Dean that I get uh, criticisms on things that I didn't know that was happening, but I, my superpower is not to take them personally. Um, um, not to take them personally, but to take an, uh, uh, take them as an opportunity to opportunity to have a conversations why uh, these things are happening, mm -hmm. and then and so that's often have become relationship building uh, moments. So clarity of vision, right? But realizing the vision is bigger than you personally, mm -hmm. right? Some, so, I mean, one of the traps of leadership is you you think the vision is you, right? And you're saying no, the vision is bigger than than me or any of us. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not personal, but we're about something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I have witnessed that about you and your ability to see and not get distracted by all the all the, all that could be distracting. So yeah, that's nice. Okay, number nine, question number nine is a famous question. People not sure what they think about question number nine, but here comes question number nine. What's your favorite curse word? Um, I don't think our uh, uh, Calvinist uh, friends would like it. I would <laughs> say, I wish I were Calvinist. That's what I would say. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> As a, a Methodist, uh, I believe in universal salvation. <laughs> yes. Although many Methodists do not, you know, no, that tradition. So some of the, you know, the really worst things get to, that could have come out is, I wish I were Calvinist. Meaning that <laughs> I don't want to be with you in my next life. <laughs> I'm going into the eternity <laughs> to talk about you. Oh, that's new. That's unique. We've never had anybody do theological cussing. <laughs> My, my had cussing that, that is theological, but not, but not many people know that, but my kids know that I wish I were Calvinist. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Okay. Next question. Um, how have you survived certain violences in teaching? Um, I, yeah, you know, in, uh, I almost was um, physically hit by a white woman, middle-aged student in mm. classroom uh, in early age, uh, my you know my career, because it was class about anti-racist pedagogy, and we are looking at race and gender class, and I was naming um, 
multicultural approaches to uh, religious education, how still is embedded in uh, racism, especially anti-black racism. And, but, you know, a lot of people thinking that that's a good thing for the world that they have been practicing a lot of multicultural things. And so she was just a, so devastated, I guess, uh, that uh, she has been doing all these racist things. So she almost hit me. Um, so, so, but that, uh, that was really, uh, I still, I, I guess I still remember those moments. I guess it is very violent moment and I didn't know what well, to do at that moment. Well, it's frightening, right? Yeah. It's frightening. It's very I've, frightening I've, moment. I've actually been in some of those moments. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I had to use, uh, my power as a teacher, especially I was her advisor, um, to have a, uh, to summon her, uh, and to talk about that moment, uh, and it's, you know, but the, she was not ready to understand the, uh, the difference. But uh, after she was graduated from seminary and became a pastor, and then she started uh, seeing the problematic mm -hmm. uh, framework that she was working uh, mm -hmm. with, then some about 10 years after that incident, she apologized to me for that behavior. Wow. Um, so, so that, those are one of those things, but some other times, often because you know of who I am, also with my accent, uh, students uh, bring a lot of microaggression toward me, and so then I often uh, talk about that as uh, our uh, thing. It's so a one one time, you know, when I was teaching a class on adult faith formation, um, I guess students didn't uh, trust, especially those uh, two. Uh, women, uh, white women students, again, uh, trusted the process that I was taking them. And so um, they were almost screaming that they don't know what's going on in the class. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, if that's the case, since this is adult phase formation, let's all be an adult. So I tore apart my syllabus in front of entire students. Mm -hmm. Okay, so up to this class, we learned about adult education principles and needs assessment. So let's create our syllabus together. So at the end of the three hours, they came up with almost the same identical syllabus that I gave them. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of those examples that how I use a microaggression uh, as a, a learning opportunity and platform and method. Mm -hmm. And it takes so much um, internal strength to stand in those moments. And I'm going to use your words from a previous question and not take the attack personally, mm -hmm. but to say, let us continue in this conversation and this journey together. Yeah. Yeah. Next question. What healings have you witnessed or received in teaching or the teaching life? And you might have just told us two stories right before think, this question. Yeah, I think those, you know, also came to my mind as you were saying the question. But also, um, I stay in touch with a lot of my former students. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they reach out to me uh, to uh, get some resources or to speak at their church or to lead at their church's retreat, uh, I consider them as uh, really my healing uh, moments that uh, sometimes, you know, um, I don't know whether I'm doing any meaningful work because, you know, uh, on bad days, but, uh, you know, uh, on uh, when those things are happening and then... Uh, 
suddenly out of blue in Facebook, uh, I, I get noticed that, uh, you know, someone so-and-so uh, mentioned to me and they talk about what they learned uh, in my class 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are really grateful moments. What have you enjoyed most about the teaching life? Uh, I guess witnessing uh, my students become teachers. Uh, they're learning leaders. They become learning leaders uh, also. Um, because you know, I often in my class, uh, in first class, I used the analogy of image of a travel guide. I mm-hmm. said, you know, I am a travel guide because I have been there, done that. But uh, uh, so... Uh, but that doesn't mean that I know all of your needs and you know interests. So as we travel together, if I am a good travel guide, when you know we are riding uh, from point A to point B, and then on the bus you notice that some spot that I have not noticed before, you ask mm-hmm. us to stop, and I ask you know I say let's stop and get out, then and I find a new scenery that I have not noticed before. Those, uh, uh, I try to be travel guide, a uh, flexible tra- travel guide like that. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if I, even though I know the best seafood restaurant in town, but if I notice that, you know, some of you are allergic to seafood, I cannot insist you go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, often that uh, travel guide image I say in the first class. Uh, and when I see my students becoming uh, the travel guide for yeah. their communities, yes. Yeah, nice. Last question. At the conclusion of your teaching career, so not now, but at the conclusion of your teaching career, what miracles will you have performed? I think, you know, miracle is uh, happening every day, every moment we, uh, mm-hmm. when we teach. I don't think it's going to happen at the end because you know, think about uh I often say that teaching has uh, three major components, uh, information, formation, and transformation. Mm -hmm. We can do a lot of information. We can do some good formation, but transformation is a miracle. It is a combination of a spirit, the participants and community and uh, context and what's going on when everything uh, is, you know, happening together, transformation happens. And, I think those transformative moments are happening continuously, big and small. So I hope that at the end of my teaching career, I feel like uh, if I feel like I am transformed by this work, um, that will be a continuous miracle that I have been working toward uh, uh, in collaboration with uh, the Holy Spirit. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for your insight and for your candidness, right? It's um, it's a joy to get to know you a little bit better. Right? Thank so you thank so much. You. I always enjoy conversation with you. To our listeners, uh, you are welcome to subscribe to our Wabash newsletters. The Teaching Hub and Media Drop uh, can be gotten by going to our website and clicking on the subscription button. Also on our website, get information about our cohort experiences, workshops, and roundtables, our educational resources like our journal, our syllabus collection and blogs, as well as our re-granting program, giving funding for large and small projects on teaching and the teaching life. A special thanks to our sound engineers, Paul Myrie and Paul Utterback, and to our podcast producer, Rachel Mills. 
The music which frames this silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul? Mm -hmm.